You're listening to Vet Candy. Yeah, so I was feeling pretty good about myself, right? I'm like, okay, we figured out some things. We've given her some peace of mind. And then July comes. It's a really hot day. The owner calls and she says, Jazz is in a respiratory distress episode. This episode is brought to you by Trudell Animal Health. Welcome to the Vet Mysteries Podcast. My name is Dr. Jill Lopez. This podcast is powered by Vet Candy, a multimedia platform offering diverse veterinary content produced by veterinary experts and key opinion leaders. In this podcast, we unravel some of the most baffling and fascinating cases in veterinary medicine. Please let us know how you feel about these cases. You can find us on social at MyVetCandy. Now, let's get started. I'm so excited to have on our show today, Dr. Jean Yin Tan. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jean Yin. Thank you so much, Dr. Lopez. It's really nice to meet you. I am so excited to have you on the show. I don't think we've had any, we had maybe one podcast show about horses, but we definitely haven't had any mystery case about horses. And And I love horses, but I don't feel like I'm worthy of working on horses but I'm so excited to talk to them today. So you're a horse vet, huh? Did you always wanted to be a horse vet? I did. Ever since I was very young, I fell in love with horses. I started riding and that's the reason why I went into veterinary medicine. Oh, really? What kind of riding did you do? Pleasure, little hunter jumper, nothing really, really competitive. So did you have a horse when you were a little girl? I did not. It's quite expensive. It's an expensive sport. And so I always rode other people's horses. Yeah. So lesson horses at first, and then whoever's horse was at the bar. Oh, okay. Okay. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Canada? Mostly in Canada. So we spent um, like 11 years or so in Edmonton, which is north of where I am now. Okay. Okay. So so a lot of people have horses in that area. And and I mean, the same thing with me is like, I grew up in, in West Virginia, and we could never have afforded a horse. And they weren't even that, I mean, compared to now, I was just talking to someone from Alaska, and they're paying $25 for a bale of hay in Alaska. I mean, it wasn't that expensive, but we didn't have a place to put them. But my neighbors had a horse and I'd always sneak over and ride the horse. So it, it does seem like there's a there's a lot of girls that grew up loving horses, and they go into veterinary medicine. And then another strange thing is I know so many people, not me, because I knew I could never be a horse vet, but a lot of people go to vet school and they want to be a horse vet. Once they do rotation, they change their mind and they go into small animal. Have you noticed that too? I have, unfortunately. Yeah, we we do lose quite a few people who are interested in horses when they go into vet school and they kind of realize it's a little bit of a tough life out there. So unfortunately, we lose quite a few to small animal, but they still keep up their love for horses. They have time to ride and enjoy horses still. There's a group I belong to on Facebook. I think it's called Devia Mom Equestrian or something. So it's people that most of them are not horse vets, but they're they're like they're taking riding lessons and stuff. And a lot of them are just, you know, buying their horse. They haven't ever had a chance to buy a horse. So now they're buying it. So it's fun watching their their story on there. And then I know someone who was oh my gosh, like I feel like there's this mass exodus of the people that are our horse vets that are leaving the industry. Somebody that I really love, and, and I could not believe that this person told me last week, she said goodbye horses, and now she's in small animal. 
I'm really surprised. I think it's a, it's a little scary right now, right? It is. Unfortunately, we have like a 40% attrition rate at the five-year mark in AAEP, so in the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And it's a problem that everybody is aware of and they're working on. So they actually have a really good initiative right now where AAP is looking at the reasons why people are leaving, what they can do about it. I myself am working on some research with Lincoln Memorial University, and we're working on a long-term longitudinal retention study. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to hear. You got to let us know when you find out, because I would love to know. I was so surprised that she left the field and she's not looking back. You know, I I don't know if you'll ever get her back into equine medicine, but I did know of a vet student and she loved horses. She had She has a Morgan horse and she went to vet school thinking she was going to be a horse vet. And I remember when she went into a rotation, I didn't hear from her. I think it was like 20 weeks, but I think maybe it was like five weeks or something. And she came out and she's like, no, 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 no. She loves horses. And she, she decided that she can, she'll be her own horse vet, but she'll do small animal, but she'll be able to take care of her own. That's her, was her goal. So hopefully something changes because We need horse vets. We do. You know, there's not a lot of vets in some states anyway, but I was talking to a vet who is in, I think, Minnesota, and she said she's one of like a handful of horse vets in Minnesota, and people will drive five hours just to see a horse vet. So hopefully something changes because we need them. We need them bad. We need them bad. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I think it is a growing issue, but at the same time, the people who are still in the profession, they're the diehards, they're dedicated, you know, their love for horses is so strong that they'll go through, you know, the emergency on call through the night. I know for myself, I owned my own clinic for five years, almost five years. So it was 24 seven on call. So you've got the really dedicated people who are still in equine medicine. So people have been you know, telling horse owners to be appreciative and to, you know, just show their love for their veterinarians as well. Yeah. Do what you can. Don't let them go. What did you do undergrad? Did you, were you like an equine science major? So I actually went to University of Alberta. So up in Edmonton, back at home. And I did three years of a pre-vet program in animal science before I went over to Cornell for vet school. Okay. Then you went to Cornell. So you went to the United States. Was that the first time you've been to the United States when you went to vet school? Was it a culture shock? I'm just kidding. Because I mean, I feel like Cornell is practically Canada, right? When you get up there, it's so cold. And so, you know, it's so close to the Canadian border too. So, so what'd you think about vet school? Did you, did you love it? I, I did love vet school. You know, it's funny because Edmonton is one of the most northernmost cities that's that actually has a population in it. So it's quite cold there. And it's funny because I moved to Ithaca where Cornell is and everybody was constantly making jokes at the beginning, like especially during orientation, they were like, oh, you know, you better be careful. It's going to get really cold here. And they're like warning everybody in the admitting class about the temperature. And I was like, oh, did you come to school in like January in shorts? <laughs> that is a very Canadian thing to do for sure. You know, the funny thing though, is it's a dry cold in Alberta and that humidity in Ithaca and where you're from in Connecticut, like it's, it's humid. It is a different kind of cold. Like you feel it in your bones. So that's funny. So you came down there and you're like, wow, this is so, it's so hot down here. So did you have, were there a lot of people that wanted to be horse vets like that you were with and everyone, all your friends were horse vets? 
No, not really at all. So same as right now, there's not that many people who want to go into equine medicine, right? Or there's more that start off and then and then they kind of fall out um, towards the end of vet school or beyond. So there were probably eight of us out of a class of 85 or so that were interested in horses. And there's only a couple of us left practicing in horses. So, you know, we lost some to injury. We lost some to lifestyle. And there's still a few still practicing mixed animal one in private practice with equine and then a couple of us in academics. Okay. Okay. Well, good. And if there's anything we can do to help promote people to go into horse medicine, to know it's okay, you can come back. It's fine. You can be your own boss. You can do your own hours. You don't have to do emergencies. You could do preventative care. It's actually an incredible lifestyle to be invited onto people's property because, you know, when you're a small animal veterinarian, everybody comes to you. But I feel like in large animals, really unique where people have to actively invite you to come. And it's quite an honor, really, to see horses in their natural habitat, spend your time outside. And we have such diversity in cases like I always tell people right now, you know, one day I'll be out in an indigenous reserve seeing horses who are underserved. And then the next day I'll be at Spruce Meadows seeing a five million dollar horse. And so it's really cool um, diversity of clientele and diversity of patients that we get to treat. No matter what, you know, to me, a horse is a horse and they all deserve medical care. Yeah, exactly. And what kind of, now you surely have horses now, right? (laughs) I do not. It's too expensive. (laughs) Oh, but now you can say, I should probably take it out on a trail ride and see how it's doing. And then you could ride whatever you want, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of trail riding outfits here. Um, We're very close to Banff. We're an hour from Banff. Oh, wow. I was supposed to go there once, but um, something came up and I had to cancel my plans. But I was so excited to go there. I've heard how beautiful it is. It's beautiful. Come visit. People need you because you're one of the only horse vets. So part of your payment could be is you get to be able to ride their horses whenever you want. You have all the power. (laughs) Definitely some trading could happen, yeah. If you if you could get, like, what would be your dream horse? Like, if you could get a dream horse, what would it be? Like, out of all the different horses, which would it be? And what color would it be? You know, other veterinarians will laugh at me, but I love the Arabian horse. I like that. I absolutely love them. Yeah, and I'm, exactly. I grew up reading King of the Wind, the Black Stallion. So 100% want an Arabian. <laughs> and would it be a black Arabian? You know, probably. I hardly, I don't even know if I've met a black Arabian. I see a lot of grays and chestnuts and some bays, but I don't even know if I've met a black one. They're so, they're so beautiful. Like if there was a beauty contest and you have an Arabian in there, no one's going to have a chance, right? There's no horse exactly. that, they could, they could beat an Arabian in a beauty contest. And they're smart yeah. and tough as nails. Yeah. So that's cool. And I did read The Black Stallion. I remember when the movie came out. That was such a good book. That was such a beautiful horse, too. Yeah, such a beautiful series. And those books, I'm going to have to write them down, the ones that you mentioned. I haven't heard of them, but they sound really Yeah, I don't know how I even found them out when I was a kid. And, And there was one called Horse for XYZ. Someone was at like a summer camp and she had, I don't know, but these, these books are so good. And so I'm, I'm like forcing my daughter. I'm like, you have to now, I'm like, you have to read this book. And then to get her to read it, I always try to read it and she goes crazy. 
you know, because she's scared I'm going to lose her place. But they're so they're, they're such good books, but they're not like mainstream books. And I have no idea how I found out about them. But I did read the mainstream ones. But we do need like we need more horse books out there. Maybe that oh. would make more horse vets. Exactly. Maybe you're making your daughter into the next horse vet. Yes, I know. Yeah. Like a, it's like a tween. It's like not when you're a teenager. It's like you have like when you're eight to 10, you have to read these books and it makes you want to be a horse vet. Yeah, and each one, something happens to the horse and they have to take care of the horse. Like this one, this summer pony burns her legs and they have to put salve all over her legs. And st- I mean, it's like, I think that's part of why we get into the field is we want to be a healer. So those things make you want to do that. So so that's what you guys got to do, equine practitioners. You got to start writing tween novels, tween <laughs> novels and make them popular. So I'm so excited to have you on this show. And remember, I mean, I know a little bit about horses, but I don't know a lot. But I, you have a really cool case we're going to talk about. And let's go to break right now. When we come back, we're going to get into the mystery. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. If you are like me, you want to improve your skills. And for many of us in the veterinary field, that means improving your clinical confidence. That's why Vet Candy created a master course in respiratory disease. The master course provides veterinary professionals with focused education on asthma, bronchitis, and other respiratory disease. The program is taught by a board-certified criticalist and delivers a thorough evaluation of the science and clinical practice skills needed to master respiratory conditions disease from diagnosis and management to client counseling. And what's even more exciting? The course is free and provides race and New York State approved continuing education credits. Plus, when you complete the modular master course, you earn a certificate of completion as a certified respiratory educator and exclusive tools to celebrate, recognize, and share your accomplishment. This master course is brought to you by Trudell Animal Health, the makers of the AeroCat Chamber. You can start by helping your patients breathe better by taking it for free today at myvetcandy.com respiratory. So I'm so excited, you guys. We have a really great story today. This is a real story, right, Dr. Genian? Absolutely. It's a real life story. So take us there. So take us that day. Like, was it a cold, snowy day in Alberta? Um, Like, what was it like? Like, bring us to that day. Yes. So it was actually summer. It was beautiful out. This is when I practiced in upstate New York. Um, I wanted to give you a nice case where I'm there with the horse from beginning to end. So it's a beautiful day outside it's summer, and I'm seeing a horse named Jazz. He is a 17-year-old quarter horse chestnut gelding. And he's a pleasure horse used for trail riding. So great. So the, the um, horse owners called you up and said, his name was Jake, you said? Jazz. Jazz. So the horse owner called up and said, Jazz ain't doing right. What did they say? What was wrong? What did they think was wrong? So they said they needed a second opinion. So Jazz had this cough on and off for about a year. So chronic cough. And then occasionally he'd get these like his nostrils would really flare up and he'd, you know, show more trouble breathing And he'd been seen by another vet over the last year, and he'd been treated with 
all sorts of things. So dexamethasone tablets, albuterol tablets, sulfa antibiotics, penicillin, ventipulmin. <laughs> so he's been treated with everything. Nothing made him better? Nothing made him worse? You know, the funny thing is he isn't really consistent. And so he has these coughs occasionally. The meds make him better for a little bit. And then he'll have these breakthrough episodes where twice in the last year, he's had these big episodes of respiratory distress where the owner got really scared. That he was going to die? Yeah, like he just had a lot of trouble breathing, like making a lot of noise when he was breathing, really struggling. And then she would call the vet on emergency So they'd come out and they'd give her another round of one of these drugs. And, you know, she's just, she loves Jazz so much. And she just wants the best for him. So she wants to, you know, get rid of this issue that's causing these episodes. Like, was he inside? Was he like kept in a stable? Or was he outside all the time or or what? That's a really good question. So he was kept outside 24-7 in this beautiful green pasture, but he does have a run-in shed. So he has a shed out there and it's bedded with some shavings. Um, And he's kept outside with two little miniature donkeys. It's the donkeys, the donkeys. He's allergic to donkeys. (laughs) It would be so easy. So now when he had problems, was it because he was, were they riding him? Was he exerting himself when he had the problems or was he just... He was just out in the fresh air having problems? Yeah, so they they ride him about once a week or so whenever the group of friends gets together and they trail ride together. One of the episodes was totally unrelated and the other episode was a day or two after riding. So not really while he's being ridden. Okay, so he had almost like a normal life except for these episodes? Yeah, mostly a normal life, just this chronic cough like, underlying cough and then he had those two episodes and it's funny like if when you're riding horses when they cough it's like your whole the whole body shakes too (laughs) so you know when they're coughing so did he have anything I know back in school they like you could see like um if with a chronic cough sometimes there's like an exertion where the muscles you could see the line of the muscles was he was he that bad the heave line is what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, the heave line, that's it. The heave line is a fun thing. Um, so it's actually when horses really have a chronic cough and their muscle actually hypertrophies. So their external abdominal oblique hypertrophies because it's used so much. Used I think so I have much. that. I finally had a six pack after influenza A because <laughs> I just coughed the whole time. Did he have a heave line? He did not have a heave line, fortunately. Yeah. Because it was sporadic. It wasn't continuous, right? Exactly. Sporadic, not continuous. Yeah. And so you would see the heave line if it was COPD? Mainly is symptomatic. So it mainly indicates that a horse is coughing a lot chronically. So it's kind of like if we did sit-ups every day, maybe we would eventually get a (laughs) six-pack. Maybe some of us. I don't know. I don't have one. So, okay. So he he didn't have that. And it's so very sporadic. It wasn't just because he was stimulated that he would have it. It was a beautiful summer. He's outside breathing the fresh air. Like, I wouldn't know what to do. I would have to call a specialist at that point. (laughs) So what did you do? Yeah, so I asked a little bit more about the history, just like you did. And then I found out what kind of food he was on. 
Um, oh, yeah, food so, and water. Did you check his food and water and his hay? I did. Um, so he was kept on a grain called Neutrina Prime, which is a very good food for adult horses. And then he was on free choice hay, so just regular grassy hay. And she would soak it for like five to 10 minutes before feeding. Um, so she was worried about any sort of allergens from it that would make the cough. Yeah. Because he was he was coughing when he had dry hay, but then he was also coughing when he had wet hay. Yeah, he was kind of coughing either way. It didn't help at all. It didn't seem to, although when I saw him, he was actually pretty normal. So maybe it did help. So all we see as veterinarians, right, are one point in time. And other than that, we rely on the owners to tell us, which this owner was very in tune with her horse. So she was great. So when I went out there, he really looked normal, like his temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate, all that was normal. Body condition was slightly excessive, six out of nine. But like you said, he had no heave line. He was breathing normally. So you're saying he was a, a little chubbier than he should be? little chubbier than he should be you know that lush green grass yes yes isn't it funny like how can something get heavy on grass like it's like so I guess you could get heavy if you just ate salad all the time you could be heavy I guess it depends on what toppings you put on it but yeah right there's a lot of sugars in grasses actually especially that lush green grass is out in upstate New York if you think about like a horse's natural habitat normally they're scrounging around right like there's shrubbery, there's a lot of dirt and rocks and stuff, and they have to look for nice grass. Whereas we keep them on beautiful manicured, you know, grassy pastures. So that's not really normal. And they don't have to look for it. It's just brought to them. So he had good water. His food was good. The hay looked good. Did she happen to videotape any of the episodes where you could see what he was doing? She did not, unfortunately. That has been such a wonderful technology that I didn't have when I first started practicing. We didn't have smartphones back then. Back in the day, we even had to develop all our own x-rays in the dark room. I remember that, yeah. So much better now. Um, But yeah, she was a little bit of an older client, so she did not have any video. You know, your career like with, with horses, you could actually do a lot with telemedicine, right? Because the horse, you can see the horse in its natural environment. It's not stressed because someone's there. But I guess going to a farm, it's like when you have in small animal practice, you'll have a dog who has been limping for six months. He comes in and walks right through the door because he's so freaked out. And I guess maybe the same thing with horses. You were there. And if she thinks there's something wrong with me, I'm going to be turned into dog food or something. You know, I mean, horse, you never know what horses are thinking. So he was on his best behavior. That is a neat difference between small animal and equine practice. I think, as you said, you know, those small animals, they're so excited because they're totally out of their routine, right? Like, no, they're used to probably sleeping at home all day. And instead you like jam them into a car, bring them to this weird place with all these small animals. So the beautiful thing about this is I get to go see this horse in his natural habitat with his donkey friends out in pasture. He's not too stressed, actually. He's pretty happy. I'm seeing him in his natural state. Oh, good, good. So what did you do? I mean, what were you thinking? You, you looked at all the medicine he's been on. You, you talked to her. You saw what he looked like. What were you thinking? So you think when you bring your kid to the doctor, right? One of the things, if they have a cold, the doctor's probably going to say, okay, I'm going to listen with this stethoscope. And I want you to breathe deeply. 
I would love to do that to jazz, right? Like, I'd love to be like, hey, jazz, I'm going to put this stethoscope on your lungs and I want you to breathe deeply. Um, so I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this from vet school, but we actually put a bag over their nose, which sounds crazy. It looks crazy. And yeah. people are probably going crazy, like, oh my gosh, she's coming to torture our horse. I know, it's this thing where you've been taught since you were a kid, never put a bag over your head. Yeah, no, don't <laughs> put a bag over your head and definitely don't put a bag on your horse's head. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. When I lived in Illinois, we had, I actually had a horse and we had, um, they had their fly masks on. Somebody called the police on the place we were keeping them and said that we were putting bags over their heads. They, the police came out to look at them and stuff. And we're like, it's a fly mask. I bet that happens a lot, but maybe not in, you know, up in Alberta where people are very smart, but, but down here they did. So you had yeah. a, so you put a bag over his nose I put a bag over his nose, makes him rebreathe his CO2 and makes him breathe deeper. So it's called a rebreathing bag exam. So there are three things we evaluate doing a rebreathing bag exam. One is how quickly it exacerbates their clinical signs. So for example, if the horse is supposed to be a chronic cougher, if I put the bag on, I'm going to see, you know, how quickly does he start coughing? How bad is the coughing? If he has signs of respiratory distress, which she's mentioned before, how quickly does he get worse with the bag on? And then while the bag is on, I listen to the trachea and both sides of his lungs. And I listen for adventitious lung sounds like crackles and wheezes. And then the third thing is I look at how quickly he recovers. Like after I take the bag off, does he take 10 minutes where he's gasping for breath? Or does he recover right away? That's amazing. Like you can learn so much from that bag, the rebreathing bag. Yeah. Us internal medicine specialists, we're like picking for details, right? So we, we are definitely paying attention to every part of that bag exam. So he did great. Actually, I put the bag on and he didn't cough. He didn't do anything. I listened to his lung sounds. They were normal. His trachea was normal and he recovered really quickly. The only abnormality, as I said, I'm looking for abnormalities because I'm an internist. He had this tiny little bit of unilateral mucoid nasal discharge after the exam, just a little bit. Okay. So I'm thinking fungus. I don't know why. Is that what you thought too? I thought it might be a couple of different things. I went back to my problem list, right? Like that's what we tell the students to do. So I'm like, okay. He's a heavy set horse, so he has a body condition score of six out of nine. So he's not quite obese yet, but he's getting close. And then he has this history of chronic cough and recurrent episodes of respiratory distress, but he's normal now. 
And so I'm thinking, okay, I need to go to the drawing board. Like what algorithm do I use in my head for a cough? And in courses, what I usually do is I think, okay, is this infectious or non-infectious? This is such a large animal thing. Like, you know, infections are common. So is it infectious or non-infectious? So he had been doing this for over a year, right? So most likely it's non-infectious just because the length of time, right? Good point. Yeah. If it was infectious, wouldn't he have gotten worse over the last year to the point where he had to be seen, right? He's got a conscientious owner. Oh, and I forgot to ask you, the donkeys are okay? Donkeys are fine. They're looking at you, being naughty. So I'm definitely thinking, okay, infectious or not infectious? He has a normal temperature. It's chronic. None of the other animals are infected. So we're thinking non-infectious, right? And then I go back to my physical exam. Is it upper respiratory or lower respiratory? So his lungs sounded clear, right? Mm-hmm. His trachea sounded fine too. And he yeah. had unilateral discharge. The lungs are clear. It's not lower in uh, respiratory disease. I think this is the point where you're like, my physical exam is too limiting right now. I've got a normal <laughs> physical exam here. I need a little more to go on. I haven't even heard him cough at this point. Yeah, at this point, I probably don't have enough information on whether it's upper or lower. But what I do know is kind of what's common in horses. So what's common in horses is you mentioned earlier, you said COPD, right? Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, COPD. I always think about horses and COPD. But I'm thinking like that's like usually a dusty barn, right? It's a dusty barn. Yeah. So COPD is kind of an older term called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And we actually don't use that term anymore. They used to call it COPD because of the airways being more constricted than normal. And then they realized it actually doesn't correlate with human COPD at all. And so it would kind of mislead people. So they started to call that recurrent airway obstruction. And now they call it equine asthma, which is great. So So formerly known as COPD is now the term is equine asthma. So if you hear someone calling something COPD, you know they're out of style. (laughs) A little out of style. So is that what you thought maybe he had was equine asthma? So I had a couple of differentials. One is equine asthma and the other, as you pointed out, there's miniature donkeys there. And so one thing, for some reason, I don't know why this always stuck in my head since vet school, donkeys carry lungworm. I must really like that species name or something. That species name has stuck with me my entire life. So whenever I think donkey, I think to do call us Arnfeldy. Oh, I have to look that one up. You know, I didn't know that they were they were known for lungworms, but they seem like they would be because they're just like, <laughs> like little gnomes, right? They're like always up to no good. But lungworms in upstate New York? Yeah. Well, I guess you, know, you have the finger lakes thing. up there, right? There's still lakes, right? There are lots of lakes, lots of lakes there. Because yeah. the lungworms are transmitted by uh, mollusks, right? These ones aren't. Horses carry them too. It's just that horses don't carry them all the way through the life cycle, whereas donkeys do. And so donkeys can transmit it to horses because they carry it all the way through. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad we're talking about this because there, there's a big trend now. Many donkeys are in style. So now you need to know if you have, and they'll get them as a companion animal because it's cheaper yeah. to ha- feed a mini donkey than it is to have another horse. So now we can get it out there and people can know to watch out for those little little sneaky lungworm infested mini donkeys. Exactly. They're awfully cute, but they do carry lungworms sometimes. <laughs> so where do they pick up the lungworms? Off of the pasture, I think. And so what we can do 
is we can run a fecal test. It's a special fecal test though. So you can't do it if you just do your regular fecal egg flow because this is larvae you're looking for. Yeah, so we actually do this fecal bearman, um, which is a special test for larvae. Do you do it um, in the clinic or do you have to send it out to Cornell Veterinary Diagnostic Lab? Yeah, definitely. I sent it out, I think, to Cornell. So I did the fecal bearman. If that wasn't it, I just kind of defaulted to a historical differential diagnosis of equine asthma. So I sent that off. It came back, no parasites seen. And then I told her, you know, why don't you start soaking the hay longer for 20 minutes? Let's change the bedding that you've got to kind of these big flake shavings because they're less dusty. Because he was using cedar shavings, right? The run and shed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So change to like big flake shavings. And then she trailers him a lot, right? And that's the cool thing. You start piecing things together because you're there and then you see him next to his trailer. And, you know, she tells you about the trail riding experiences and the fun excursions she takes with her friends. And so I realized, okay, he's trailered a lot. What do you do when you trailer? You put a whole big hay net in front of their face. They stick their head in it and then you go in the trailer and the wind blows and all that hay goes into your face. And if you're asthmatic, that's the worst thing that could happen to you, right? Right? Yeah, 100%. So I said, don't tie his head when he's trailering the hay on the floor of the trailer. And then he had a whole ton of meds, right? So I said, okay, here's the dose for Ventipulmon. Here's the dose for dexamethasone if you have any issues. But right now he looks normal. And I left it at that. I would have never thought of lungworm. That's such a smart thing to think of. It's just one of those things that stuck in my head. (laughs) Did it come back positive? It was negative. Nothing was seen. Yeah. You know, I left things at that and I thought things would be fine. She was saying you had some really bad situations, but it looks like you figured out the triggers. Like, So it would be his his shed um, when he's traveling in his trailer and then the, the hay at home. So you're hitting all those potential problems, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I was feeling pretty good about myself, right? I'm like, okay, we figured out some things. We've given him some peace of mind. And then July comes. It's a really hot day. The owner calls and she says, Jazz is in a respiratory distress episode. It was like a really hot, humid day. Yeah. So she's she's like, oh, he's, he's done it again. And so I go out there. And by the time I get there, she's given, she's given the rescue meds. She's a good owner. She's given exactly what I've told her to do. So what so was the rescue there. meds that she gave him? She gave Ventipulmin and dexamethasone. Okay. So she wasn't giving it to him chronically. She was given those medications as when he needed them. Okay. I got it. Okay. He was on nothing. And then he had the respiratory distress. And then she gave him the dex and the Ventipulmin. Had she been trailering him or what What triggered him to have that reaction? No, he was just out in pasture on this hot day. I wonder how many times it would happen when she didn't happen to notice too, right? That's true. So I go out there and first thing I notice, his body condition score is now seven out of nine. He's officially in the obese category now. Um, I weight tape him. He's at 1239 pounds. So it's like four, for a quarter horse, 1200 pounds is a little heavy. Yeah, Unless he had like a really I, big butt, like a big muscular butt. Yeah, and now he's got some padding too all around. Yeah. 
we'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. You know, I do his physical exam again, and it's normal. So then what do I do? I throw the bag over his nose again. Here she comes with the bag. Here she comes. Exactly. And thankfully, he's so good. I, I can't imagine. I have to, like, run around and wrestle a miniature donkey if I had to do it on the donkey. So he had one expiratory wheeze. Oh. On rebreathing bag exam. So this time I run blood work. So I run a complete uh, blood count, CBC, a chemistry panel, and a fibrinogen. And that's all normal. You know, it takes me a day to get those results back. And then I tell her, you know what? Every time I see him on physical exam, he's mostly normal. So I think we need to do more. You know, it's a mystery case right now. We don't know exactly what's happening, but we've ruled out lungworm. We're suspicious of equine asthma, but why don't we get some definitive diagnosis right now so we know definitively how to treat him. So um, I sent him into my own clinic so that I could see him for a video endoscopic bronchoalveolar lavage. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you, you brought him back into the clinic? I said, leave him be right now because he looks okay. It's a hot day. We're not going to trailer him today. So she booked an appointment and we saw him, I think, a couple weeks later. In the morning before it was really hot, probably? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No hay so, in his face in the torture? Yeah, good call. So I said, yeah, trailer him without the hay in front of his face. So I see him for a third time, third time that summer. I put a three meter scoop scope up his nose. And he, they're sedated for this, right? Please tell me they're sedated. Because okay. I had that COVID <laughs> test and when they really put it up your nose, now, you know, you start thinking about all the animals you've done horrible, like you've stuck things down their throat and up their nose and you're like, it's fine. Until you get it yourself, you don't realize how painful it is. So he was sedated. Exactly. I, I think you're thinking, God, we don't want to lose another equine vet to injury. <laughs> Drugs are our friend. So yes, I gave him drugs and I in- always include for a BAL, I always include butorphanol. Yeah. So it's an antitussive and it also, you know, helps with the sedation. It's synergistic with our xylazine and our detomidine. And so I put the scope in and I see right away that he doesn't have any discharge coming from his sinus. Cause I'm like looking at everything, right? I look over at the guttural pouch openings. Like, is there any evidence of strangles, you know, those are clear. Everything's clear coming out of his sinus. So then I go into his trachea and that's why it's useful to have the torb. You know, like anything tickling your trachea, like that's going to make you cough like crazy. Yeah. When I had the flu last week, um, just breathing would trickle, tickle my trachea and I would just like have like explosive coughing. So yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. And so we actually put lidocaine down too through the scope. Oh, like you would with cats. We do that with cats. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, you do. Like, well, I mean, I don't know if they do it anymore, but we used to before we we tube them. That's right. 
That's right. So same idea. And in the trachea, I actually see grade one of five mucus, which means I see little, little globs of mucus in his trachea. And that's abnormal. Like, you know, you scope a whole lot of horses and they're not normally like that. And then I drive all the way down into his lungs. And when I drive into his lungs, I look at the bronchial walls and it looks like normal airway wall thickness. Of course, that's a visual. And then I do the bronchoalveolar lavage. So I put in saline, sterile saline, and I draw it back out. So we basically do a little flush of the lungs. And so, I hope no one ever does that to me. It just seems like it would be awful. Yeah. I, I always think that one day I am going to get that done to me because as like payback for how many times I've done this on horses. Because you know it's got to hurt, right? I mean, anytime you get like one drop of water in your lungs, it hurts. But you have to do it. You have to do it. And he's you got sedation on board. Exactly. So funny enough, I used to do this. I used to do heaves research with my mentor. So I get up and do this at like 5 a.m. before I went to school and during vet school. <laughs> Which is why I say, like, as karma one day, I'll probably have to have, like, a BAL done on myself. Well, hopefully you don't. Hopefully you don't. So you pulled the fluid back, and yeah. did it look weird when you looked at it? or No, it looked pretty good. So I sent it in, because it's a molecular. Basically, they need to do a fluid analysis. They need to count the cells. They need to look at the cytology. And it came back 31% neutrophils. 65% macrophages and 4% small lymphocytes. Yeah, neutrophils are our inflammatory cells, right? So there shouldn't be many of them. Like ideally you should have less than like 4% or so. And um, our definition of heaves, which is equine asthma, recurrent airway obstruction, traditionally known as COPD, is neutrophils greater than 25%. So he was at 31%. So it was a definitive diagnosis of recurrent airway obstruction or um, asthma. So at this point, you know, I've got my problem list. I know that he's obese. He's got recurrent episodes of respiratory distress, and I have now diagnosed him with recurrent airway obstruction or equine asthma. And so equine asthma is non-infectious and is lower airway. It's in your lungs, right? It's a non-infectious inflammatory pulmonary disease. And it has a spectrum. And at first when I saw him, I would have thought that he was a mild case. And that's why we treated him with nothing. I just left him with, you know, emergency drugs. I thought he had the lower end of the spectrum, which is called inflammatory airway disease, because he seemed so normal at rest. And that's the beauty of doing these definitive tests, right? So when I do the BAL, what I can't see on physical exam, what I can't appreciate by looking at him, we can appreciate by looking at the cells inside his lung. So the cells inside his lung say he's got way more severe disease than you think he does. He's just a stoic quarter horse. Yeah. He's a quarter horse that's well managed by a really attentive owner, but deep inside, he's still got severe equine asthma. We, we go over all of the environment again and everything, and we know that he is really well managed. And so... What we know now is he probably needs more than management, right? Like he probably needs some medications all the time. Yeah. So we go over again, as we go over the environment, she decides, okay, I'm going to start steaming the hay. 
So I'm going to go one step further because, you know, she's such a good owner. She loves jazz, loves jazz. So she ends up getting cardboard bedding for him like a cat. She ends up making a hay steamer for him. And so antigen avoidance, right? Number one. So it's like, I always tell owners, it's like having a horse with asthma is kind of like having a child who lives with a father that smokes inside the house. You can't get away from it. Like all those antigens that make you cough, you can't get away from it. They're always there. And so the more you can do about the environment, I have to band-aid it constantly with medications that can only work for such amount, you know, such a small amount of time. So then we talk about meds because we're like, okay, we've got to, we've got to do more than just management now. We've got to do meds. So there are two main medications that you use for equine asthma. One is anti-inflammatories. And we all know, right? Like, exactly. Steroids are your biggest anti-inflammatory. And then we've got bronchodilators. um, So muscarinic antagonists, beta adrenergic agonists. But then he's obese, right? So he's a body condition score of seven out of nine. So if you think about your steroids, they have a lot of side effects, right? Yeah, so you're thinking, okay, when it comes to steroids in common among all animals, you cause iatrogenic hyperglycemia, you cause polyuria, polydipsia, muscle wasting, adrenocortical suppression, like immune suppression. And hunger, hunger. Hunger make you even bigger. But then the biggest thing with horses, and I don't know if you know this, laminitis. There's a big potential with glucocorticoids to cause laminitis, especially if they're predisposed. So he's obese, body condition score of seven out of nine. He is automatically predisposed for something called equine metabolic syndrome, which causes laminitis. And so I'm at this point scared of giving him dexamethasone, especially long-term to treat this. I don't know, you know, you've got this great horse right now, owner loves him and it's just like prime for causing a sad story of laminitis. Yeah, because if you don't have good feet and you're a big you know, horse, you're in trouble, right? If your feet aren't working. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy Life is a talk show hosted by well-being gurus, Dr. Quincy Hawley and Renee Michelle. Each episode features expert tips, lifestyle advice, and real-life experiences from the most interesting people in the world. Check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Back in the day, people would have been like, well, that's just too bad. We have just have to give him the decks, right? So... The great news is with people, we have those puffers. Yeah, so they're readily available. You can get them at the drugstore. So we can actually use the puffers on horses. Yeah, the the big giant ones. I've seen those. Yeah, so it's actually the same puffer you use for humans. We just get the higher concentration of them. And there's these devices that actually people have made that cup over the nose and they're silicone, they're really comfortable and they don't go over both nostrils. So it's not like that whole rebreathing bag situation. It just cups over one nose and then it's got a little chamber and it connects to the puffer. And then they have a little flap on it that 
allows you to see when the horse breathes in and breathes out. So you actually then put the puff in when they breathe in and you can treat them just like you treat asthma in a human. Oh, that's great. And then with the inhalant of the steroids, you don't have the adverse effects that you do when it's systemically given. So that's great. And it's going to be right there where you need it. Uh, It doesn't have to go through the body first and get there, which I love that too. Exactly. Yeah. So they found in a lot of studies that it's it's extremely effective. And in fact, when they do the whole meta-analysis of data, they've shown that inhaled is actually often superior to the systemic. Like you said, it goes directly into the lung where you need it. You don't get systemic absorption, so you decrease all of the adrenocortical effects. And um, the only thing is if you have a really, really bad case that has scarring, they've had so much chronic issue within their lungs. Sometimes the inhalants can't get all the way into the lungs, but other than that, it can be really good. So we decided to do that. You know, we've got a dedicated owner. We put him on beclomethazone inhalant, which is a steroid inhalant and albuterol inhalant. Um, we gave via an inhaler or um, an inhalant device called the aerohippus. And then we basically put him on five puffs of that steroid every other day for the entire summer. You know, I know with cats, like you have to train a cat to get a puffer and it takes a few days. Do you have to train a horse? I feel like a horse will do it, right? You just give him, you know, especially that horse, you give him a carrot and probably do it, right? Yeah, I used to use, so there are some other um, nebulization devices that cover the entire muzzle and those I had to train them. Like I would have to put like some molasses in and stuff, but this one just cups over one nostril. So usually tolerate it really well. And then they start to realize that it helps them. Yeah, then they like, they come to you. They want it to, yeah. Yeah, so he did really great on it. And the beauty of this is, you know, I'm scared of Dax. The most I'm going to give Dax is maybe for a week or so if it's systemic dexamethasone. And so in this case, we could stop all those respiratory distress episodes by putting him on a small amount all the time. Yeah. So he was just treated through the summer and then I rechecked him before the winter. And then we put him on every three days um, puffers instead of every two days during the winter. So it was, you know, really, really great for him. He went back to full exercise. Was he able to get his like sexy body back? (laughs) I wouldn't say that he got his sexy body fully back, but he went to a six out of nine, which is pretty good. Like it's not bad, right? Yeah. And so I had um, over three years of follow-up on him and he was doing great. That's amazing. What about the, the, you said he had a unilateral discharge. Like what was, that was just a red herring? Like what was that? So they accumulate a lot of mucus in their airways from the inflammation from heaves. And we saw that when we scoped him. And so I think what happened is just, you know, it didn't come out symmetrically after I did the stressor of the bag, just a little bit came out of one nostril. Okay. She would use the inhaler every other day in the summer. She would do one with the um, the albuterol and then one with the steroid. And then as, exactly. as you got, when it wasn't so hot, you would move into every three days, like in the winter. So did he have any problem in the winter at all, or he still had to be on the medication? Yeah, it's funny. Um, so because he's an outdoor horse, he kind of has the reverse presentation of normal heaves horses. So normal heaves horses, because they stay indoors all the time, is more dusty in the winter because you close it up. Um, So they actually get worse in the winter. For him, 
he was triggered. It was called summer pasture associated heaves where um, he was triggered by the heat and the humidity and the pollens and everything else outside. So he did do better in the winter. So yeah, there were, I think eventually we did stop his meds for some time during the winter and then start up again during the spring. And then she was steaming his hay. She was still steaming his. Wow, what steaming an owner. Hay. That's so nice. Like I don't think I would steam. I mean, I guess I would. I would probably steam my goat's hay if they were allergic. <laughs> I probably would. Let's face it. We would do anything for our animals. For my goats. Now, my sheep I always trash my sheep on podcasts. Like, they're no good. They're no good. But um, my goats, I definitely would because um, I definitely would. Because I feed them grapes. They love grapes. Like their favorite thing. I chill them. They don't just love grapes. They like chilled grapes. Goats are amazing. Goats are not mini donkeys. They they don't have that edge. They're really sweet. Uh, there's, I, I think they're so naughty, those goats. Yeah, they're they're so cool. I love goats. But um, I wish we had a horse. But we live where we live is so rocky. We have pigs and the pigs care, like tear holes everywhere. And I'm just thinking if we had a horse here. It would, it's just like the rocks or the holes from the pigs. It would just be a mess, but. Maybe this is your sign to get a miniature donkey. Miniature, no, no. But I was <laughs> tempted because I did hear that they're really good at like predator control. Yeah, donkeys are fierce when they want to be. Yeah, I mean, they, they'll yeah. take out a bear. They'll take out wolves and stuff and coyotes. And yeah, other than the lungworm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Man, that is a great story. And he's a case where, I mean, it almost looks like you know, what do you do? It looks like it's just this random thing. He's in a, be- you know, beautiful, sunny day and, and you don't realize how bad it is until you go further with the diagnostics. It's true. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was a good lesson. I think, you know, going further in diagnostics and having kind of that baseline medication for him was what did the trick. Yeah. Oh, that's great. He turned out really well, went back and was his trail riding and stuff and had his hay on the ground instead of right in his face. But that's so smart to even think about that. Like like you're working with equines, you really have to be like a private investigator. You have to look around. And I know that with like large animals and two, like um, I used to work in a poison control center. And before I came, it was very, most of the poison cases they had were like on cattle and they would send this team out to investigate a long time ago, like before it became popular for dogs to poison themselves all the time. And so they would send this team out and they would take samples of the food and they would take samples of the water and samples of the hay and just like look around. And, and, and it, like I always heard these stories, like they would tell us these stories. So you guys are still living that when you have when you're working with large animals. We are. I do sometimes feel like a private investigator, especially when you get those horses that are incredibly obese, like they're like an eight or a nine out of nine and they keep foundering, like they keep getting laminitis and the owner's like, I don't know why I don't feed them anything. They're fat on air. And you go hunting around and you're like, look at this green pasture that they're in. Look at these horse (laughs) treats from Tractor Supply, a big giant box of them. Yeah, it's always the owner, right? It's like in the in the murder mystery, it's the butler, but in the in the horse mystery, it's the owner. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. We'll be right back with more vet candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso. Do you want to keep up with everything Vet Matt? Then check out my show on Vet Candy TV. We talk about clinical updates, science news, plus some of the coolest people in our profession. 
Stream at MyBetCandy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. I'm so glad to hear he turned out well, and, and it was such an interesting mystery. I love this. So I hope you guys in the audience, I hope you enjoyed listening to this, our first horse mystery. Hopefully not our last. This is really cool. So if someone wanted to connect with you, um, Dr. Genian, I know you're on LinkedIn. Is that the best place for them to connect with you? I'm on everything. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Dr. Tan DVM. You're on Twitter too? Okay. Well, good, good. So you're everywhere. So if you guys want to connect with her, you definitely want to connect with her there. Are you guys doing any studies? Are you looking for samples from any horses anywhere else? Or are you working on anything right now that um, they can help you with? Not, I don't have, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good right now. I'm doing a lot of consultations. I'm actually going out this afternoon to go do a consultation. Yeah, no need right now, but we have this great distributed model at UFC where we have connections with all the partner clinics. So whatever we need, we can always chat with them. Okay. Okay, great. So, well, thank you for listening. Um, this has been Mysteries on Vet Candy. And if you like this show, you want to give us a thumbs up and share with your friends. So thanks for being on our show today, Dr. Jean Lian. Thank you very much for having me. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.